Higgins now lands swings and he crushes it. Left center field. Warning track walk. Goodbye. Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is presented by Hercules Tires. Now here's your host, Eric Danner. Welcome to the WAC Podcast. My name is Eric Danner. On today's show, we're going to have Ron Lockery, the Deputy Commissioner and Chief Operating Officer of the Western Athletic Conference. Just had some league meetings last week, and we'll talk to him in our second segment. We'll also talk to Jessica Poole, the Senior Associate Athletic Director for External Operations and Revenue Generation at Chicago State University. The Cougars just hired a brand new women's basketball coach, and they're in the market for a volleyball coach as well. So we'll talk to Jessica in our last segment. But to start things off, as we always do, my favorite part of the week, we're going to talk to the on-air talent and broadcasting coordinator for the Western Athletic Conference, Rachel Vigil. Rachel, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Eric. How are you? I'm hanging in there, Rach. Uh, it's starting to uh, seem more like summertime as uh, time goes along here. This would have been our, our baseball tournament week, and that really would have felt like summer had we been in uh, Mesa, Arizona this week. I know. I actually want to look up the weather there right now and see what it is because it's always toasty for the tournament. So today would have been 98 <laughs> in Mesa. Which actually I feel isn't. Like that's actually not bad. It's not bad. A couple of years ago, I think it was 110 one day oh, that we were there. Gosh. And it amazed me that the, the, uh, baseball players were still functioning because every time I went outside, it was it was pretty warm out. So um, obviously, we miss having having that championship. That's always one of my favorites. Uh, the good way to cap off the year, playing at Ho Ho Cam Stadium, you know, the home of the Oakland A's, and in spring training in a real uh, first class operation they do in Mesa. Yeah, that's one of my favorite tournaments too. And it's very weird to think about how when all this quarantine stuff started to happen that they were all kind of still in non-conference play, and now we would be playing the tournament. Like, it just, I don't know, it's gone by so fast, too, and just to, like, keep up with all the stories going around the league as well. It really has. I mean, it seemed like that first first part of March, those first few weeks, took forever. And now that we're kind Mm -hmm. of in April and May, it seems like it's going by fast, like it always does, uh, because it's like, wow, we would be in the baseball tournament already, which means – you know, the regular seasons would be over and, uh, you know, we, we missed out on all that. So it just seems everything's just going by so fast now. I know it really is. And I think it also has to do with the warmer weather. I feel like that helps, you know, when you're able to like go on a walk, it helps separate your days a little bit and not feel like you're just stuck in your house so much. Yeah, it really does. And we have exciting news. If you go on those walks and you and you bring your AirPods with you, you can listen to the WAC podcast now on Spotify and iTunes. So want to thank, uh, thank you, Rachel, for helping us out and figuring out how to get our uh, show onto those platforms. Of course. I'm so happy that more people can listen to us now. And Sunday night, the last dance finale. We're going to get into it a little more uh, in, in a few minutes here, but just your initial thoughts on the final two episodes of The Last Dance. First of all, I'm so upset that it's over. And I know ESPN just announced that on Wednesday night, they're going to be showing game six with some of the cameras (laughs) that were there. So I'm very excited for that. It's like an extra bonus. Uh, Otherwise, though, I'm so sad that it's over. It was so good. I love being able to, you know, learn more about MJ and his perspective of things and, you know, all about Dennis Rodman and Pippen and just everybody that was there and Steve Kerr even, you know, I learned about his dad and I had no idea about that. So 
overall 10 out of 10 i was joking last night i was like it's a 12 out of 10 it, like, <laughs> it is it's exceeded a... all expectations infinity out of 10 yes exactly <laughs> now whack news uh, chicago state they hired a, a brand new women's basketball coach, as I just mentioned, Tiffany Sarden. We'll take over for the Cougars, and uh, we'll talk to Jessica Poole in our final segment here. But uh, very good news uh, for Cougars fans. Yeah, I'm happy for them. You know, I know it's not always easy getting a basketball coach out to there. So I'm glad for them. I'm glad that hopefully next year is going to be a great season. And, you know, once you hire a new coach, too, I feel like it's always positive vibes there on out. And Coach Sarden's a, a Chicago native, and she played at Virginia, so they look forward to having her as their new head coach. And we had our WAC meetings uh, last week on Zoom, and uh, we're we'll, going to talk to Ron Lockery a little bit about that in our segment, second segment. But one of the things that started coming out at, during the meeting, uh, Rachel, was uh, the California State announcement that their CSU system, which is the California State University system, uh, were going to be online in the fall. And that affects 23 different universities. Uh, CSU Bakersfield, which is leaving the WAC as a uh, member school, I, I believe they're still going to be an affiliate in uh, swimming and diving. Uh, they, they will be affected, obviously, by that, as is Sacramento State, uh, one of our better uh, baseball schools, also an affiliate. Uh, but it, it's one of those things, once we saw that happen, like, woo, what's, what's going to be the ripple effects here? And so far, as we speak here, I haven't seen what, how that's going to affect the athletic departments yet, but uh, could could be something to uh, keep an eye on there, Rach. Yeah, you, when you texted me, I was shocked. I didn't expect to see that. I figured we would hear some news about what's going to happen in the fall, but I didn't think any like final decisions would be made until maybe end of June. Right. So to hear them say that, I was really shocked. However, I do think it's going to be really interesting now to see what they do with athletics because a lot of them have been preaching that they're students before they're athletes. And, you know, there's some big time schools out in California. So what's going to happen with all of them? And if they do wind up uh, canceling sports or moving sports, you know, that that remains to be seen. But, you know, reading stories that there, there's been quite a few uh, folks going into the transfer portal because they, they don't want to risk not uh, possibly playing a semester because there could be some sort of mix. You know, maybe some schools aren't going to play athletics uh, this year. Uh, some schools may try to delay it. Some schools, you know, full steam ahead, uh, right, right on schedule. So there's a lot of things still up in the air in terms of uh, the NCAA and what college sports might look like this fall. How would conferences handle that and Eric you may not even know the answer I feel like a lot of people wouldn't because we've never been in the situation right. but say for Sacramento State with baseball and the whack if they're not playing sports do we just remove them I know they're an affiliate but so do we just take them out yeah like, no, that's that's a good question I, I guess not until we know that they're not doing athletics but I mean would it be fair to the other schools that are continuing to play if if you know you did a, a broad stroke okay we're not going to do it as a conference we saw that happen with the uh, ccaa which is a division two conference in california they've already announced they're not doing fall sports but all of their schools are in that csu system so that that makes it a little more cut and dry for them but yeah for conferences like the WAC, where we go from chicago to seattle to to edinburgh to las cruces to phoenix to you know all, all over the the western united states it it's going to be uh, interesting to see how the uh, how the conference looks this year yeah it really will just to see how the next coming weeks kind of play out will be extremely interesting 
And uh, the uh, let's get back to the last dance, <laughs> Rachel. Let's get back on a on a positive note. Although we're both really sad that uh, there's not going to be any more last dance. Uh, fantastic ten episodes. Now I did see because uh, some of my friends don't have ESPN, and a lot of people don't. Uh, but it will be on Netflix, I believe, in July. Uh, they're going to have the last dance on there, so you can rewatch uh, the last dances as much as you want. The uh, the thing, and you already touched on a little bit that that really came out of the Sunday night episode was Steve Kerr and his backstory. Obviously, uh, he, he he has gone on to be a tremendous coach in the NBA, winning championships with the Golden State Warriors. Also, after he left the Bulls, he went to San Antonio and won a couple championships for the Spurs, playing for Greg Popovich. So he played for Phil Jackson, Greg Popovich. Uh, became a GM for the Suns, was also a really good broadcaster. I don't know if you were uh, able to hear him uh, before he was coaching the Warriors, but he was a really good analyst, uh, which springboard him into that Golden State Warriors job. But uh, the story about his dad being murdered, uh, where he was a professor, he was the president of the American University in Beirut, and I didn't realize Steve Kerr was playing at Arizona during that time. Uh, obviously, remember him as, as a college basketball player, but didn't realize the, the timeline there. And w- what an interesting guy, what, what an in- interesting perspective uh, Coach Kerr also has. Yeah, honestly, the directors and producers and editors of The Last Dance, the way they tie things in is amazing to me. You know, you're talking about one thing and then all of a sudden it connects back and then you hear this completely different story and yet it connects to another thing, just the way they did everything. But for Steve Kerr, I mean, I had no idea that his father was murdered, you know? That just, like, blows my mind. That's something you think you would have heard about with all the success that Steve Kerr has had. And I might have just completely missed it, but to, like, find that out during this, uh, like, documentary was just mind-blowing. I had literally no idea. I just remember I looked over and I was like, holy crap, I had no clue. Well, the uh, the director, I, I watched an interview with him after the uh, last episode on Sunday. And what's amazing to me, they th- these 10 episodes, and, and it took them a, about three years of uh, compiling these interviews and putting this all together. They were still working on episodes 9 and 10 in March. And so when the lockdown happened and and trying to piece all these uh, interviews and stories together, because you can just imagine how much time it took. They, they interviewed Jordan, uh, obviously, in a couple of separate times, uh, one with the uh, famous whiskey glass uh, sitting next to him. <laughs> now, now, as he pointed out, um, you know, people are thinking that he, he kept on drinking the whiskey. But if you look at the shots, I mean, some of them are during the daytime and some of them are at nighttime because you can see in the background where it's darker or it's lighter. And, and it, they interviewed him for eight hours over the course of that Gosh. time. So you can only imagine how long it took to log all those interviews and, and put this documentary together. But he, he said the person they have that was researching video is the best person he's ever seen. And, and I actually remember now, uh, about two or three years ago, getting a call from somebody uh, that was working on a documentary looking for video of Randy Brown. And uh, Randy Brown played at New Mexico State and uh, in the in the Big West. So it was before they were in the WAC. But uh, I, I got to thinking the other day, I was like, I bet you that was for this documentary because they were they were looking under every single rock that they could find video. And the fact that they found video of Steve Kerr's dad being interviewed in Beirut. I mean, how do you find yeah. that video? 
gosh, no kidding. I, everything about it. I saw, I watched that same exact interview with the director after with uh, Scott Van Pelt, right? Uh, well, actually, the one I saw was with uh, Jalen and Jacoby. Uh, oh, gotcha. Well, I saw on the ESPN Lower Third, they finished the last episode, like making sure everything was perfect on Thursday. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And and again, they they couldn't be in the same room. So the editors and the and the director and the producers, they're all doing you know Zoom calls and and having to do it that way, which makes it even you know a little little more difficult to put something like this together. And I I didn't see any any glitches, any any uh, errors in editing or anything that could have been changed. It was beautiful. The entire thing was, and I, I still think we talked about it, but how they had President Barack Obama as a former Chicago resident and then <laughs> later on he was president he, he got he got promoted he got <laughs> yeah. promoted. but uh finally I, happened <laughs> it, when we we're talking about Steve Kerr so then afterwards I, I was looking at uh, his Twitter page and I noticed he had tweeted out about uh Sean Harrington former New Mexico State player who lives in Chicago he was shot a few years ago trying to save his daughter uh from a bullet and he's now paralyzed and he has a GoFundMe page, and Steve Kerr uh, last night puts out something on his Twitter, which obviously he's got a, a big following, and probably a lot of people like me that were just checking out his Twitter account, wanting to find out more information about him. But uh, kind of an interesting story there that he would uh, tweet out something about Sean Harrington. Yeah, Sean Harrington was unfortunately shot while trying to save his daughter. Um, they said it was a mistaken identity shooting, which breaks my heart. Uh, but he's been living in an 800-square-foot apartment, which is not ADA-accessible. Right. And so they finally got a condo for him, and now they're trying to make it ADA-accessible. And he also, you know, coached basketball, and he was a former All-American player, coach, and educator, too, at a high school. So for them to raise money and for somebody like Steve Kerr to reach out and, you know, post about it, they've so far raised $77,000. So they're about halfway to their goal of 150000 So it's really awesome to see. And uh, I, being the little I guess, stalker <laughs> that I am, have been looking through. And since Steve Kerr has tweeted about it, I mean – so many people have donated. So it's awesome to see that the amount of people that reach out just because maybe of him, you know, that story may never have found those people's hearts. And because of Steve Kerr, it did. And so many people have donated. It's been awesome to see. And Russ Bradbird, who is the analyst for New Mexico State men's basketball on, the, on their TV games, he, he set that to GoFundMe page up and maybe we'll have him out on a on a future uh, whack podcast he's a very interesting guy to talk to he's a former assistant coach at new mexico state uh when sean harrington played there also was an assistant at utep under don haskins and that's uh rolls right into our next topic here the whack tie-ins uh the only one i saw on sunday night that I, we hadn't talked about already before was in that Eastern Conference Championship, the Bulls went to seven games against the Indiana Pacers. One of the key players for the Pacers was Antonio Davis, who played at UTEP uh, from 1986 to 1990 when they were members of the WAC. And Davis was second team all WAC in 1989, along with Luke Longley, who, of course, played for the Chicago Bulls. And on that team was uh, Tim Hardaway, who... Uh, obviously went on to a great career in the NBA. The head coach was Don Haskins, a Hall of Fame coach who uh, won a national championship. And in the 89 tournament at UTEP when Antonio Davis was there, they won the WAC tournament over the Colorado State Rams, 73-60. to 60. Sorry to oh. inform you of that, Rachel. But uh, uh, Antonio... Dagger to the heart, Eric. <laughs> Davis went on to a 13-year NBA career, 
uh, played for the Pacers from 93 to 99 in that 98 season. Averaged about 10.7 rebounds a game. So that's our, our whack tie-in for the uh, episodes 9 and 10 of The Last Dance. Also, I had a chance to talk to uh, Scott Williams last week on the show and uh, recommend everybody check that one out. Scott's been very active on social media. was actually on a, uh, a pregame show uh, as part of the uh, NBA alumni group uh, with Will Purdue on that was live on Twitter on Sunday night. And I mean, he, he's one of those guys you could talk to for three or four hours, literally uh, about playing for the Bulls, playing with Michael Jordan. And he actually had a great story about how Michael Jordan actually helped him uh, get uh, a tryout with the Bulls because he didn't get drafted. Uh, he played at North Carolina, obviously. So he, he had that uh, connection with Jordan. Jordan then calls Jerry Krause, and Jerry Krause uh, brings him in, and he makes the team, which back then uh, you didn't see a whole lot of undrafted free agents making NBA rosters and went on to play 14 years in the NBA, finishing with the Cleveland Cavaliers and playing with LeBron James and having the distinction of only four players in NBA history that played with both Michael Jordan and LeBron James. And by the way, uh, spoiler alert, he thinks Jordan's better. Oh, dang. <laughs> now, he did play with them at different points in their career, obviously. I mean, they won three titles with Jordan, and w- when he played with LeBron, I think he was 18 or 19 years old. <laughs> he actually had a funny story about how uh, he's sitting next to LeBron on the plane, and he asked Scott Williams how old he is, and at the time he was like 37, so he's at the uh, end of his <laughs> career, and he says, you know, you're older than my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, LeBron James' mom had him at an early age. So he's like, yeah, that that's a pretty good sign. It's time to uh, retire. So. <laughs> oh, my God. Actually, it's funny you bring that up. Last night on ESPN, they were comparing LeBron and MJ. And MJ won in every single category um, that they, like, put a vote to. I'm not exactly sure right. who it was, but they put it to a vote. And I just found it extremely interesting The other thing I found interesting was that they talked about, like, their off-the-court charitability, charitability, I guess, Mm -hmm. or they phrased it some way, and they still had MJ. But LeBron has done so, like, you know, when I think of one of the most giving athletes, I think of LeBron right away. Right. So that's very, very intriguing to me. So I'm like, now I need to go look up to see like what MJ has done. And maybe I just don't know about it. Well, and, and I also read where MJ is current net worth is $2.1 billion. Did you see that off the Nike shoe stuff? Yeah. Yeah. He makes more than he made in his NBA career. Oh yeah. And he's still, I, I think the, the, the number one selling shoe, right? That, uh, yep. Even after he's been out of the league all these years, he's still still the number one guy. But two point one billion uh, net and that's worth going up too. After all the younger kids now have seen this documentary, oh, yeah. you bet they're going to go buy some Air Jordans. Now I have uh, for for this last one, I have the uh, Danner tie-ins to the uh, Last Dance. A uh, little bit of a reach on both of these, but uh, my only time that I can probably talk about them. I actually got to meet Michael Jordan, nineteen eighty eight. I was a high school student. My best friend and his. Uh, brothers uh so his dad was dating a woman who ran the gym over at uh, metro state for whatever reason they needed to do the photo shoot for the new air jordans this was in december of 1988 and they always came out with the new air jordans at the all-star break in february so they had to do the photo shoot during the time he was in denver i don't know why it wasn't in la or chicago or somewhere else but they had to do it in denver and they did it at metro state in the gym and they also used the racquetball courts because they had to have a white background for for a lot of these pictures and 
and we weren't even sure if we we're going to be able to meet him or not but you know we thought it'd be cool just to be able to be there at the photo shoot and then we got to go meet him and of course didn't know what to say <laughs> because he had just been mvp of the nba the year before and, you know and you're a high school kid oh hi mr jordan and i remember shaking his hand and, and keep in mind i mean i'm six three six four and i can palm a basketball his hands like his fingers went up to about my elbow when I shook his hand. I mean, he's got these <laughs> ginormous hands. He's only about two or three inches taller than me. So and I noticed that watching some of the highlights during the documentary. I mean, the way he was able to handle the ball and just just like it was a an orange, you know, to you or I, I think that was obviously a huge advantage when you have hands that are that big that you can control the ball like that. But that was one of the things I always remember from meeting Michael Jordan. And then uh, 1984, uh, went back to Albany, where my, my parents are from, for spring break. And I have a cousin who was a cheerleader for the Albany Patroons, got us tickets to a game, went to the game, head coach of the Albany Patroons in 1984, Phil Jackson. And they had uh, won the championship that year. So I had no idea that that guy was going to be uh, an 11-time NBA champion head coach, but uh, that's what he wound, wound up being. So those are my, my two tie-ins to the uh, the last dance uh meeting Michael Jordan and seeing Phil Jackson back when he was with the Albany Patroons. Honestly, I'm so jealous about both of those. Like, <laughs> it's so cool. I want to, Eric, one thing we meant or forgot to mention, which I just crossed my mind, but the pizza delivery, can we talk about this real quick? So did they like call up the pizza people and be like, Hey, this is going to Michael Jordan. We need a pizza. Ace. Like, how did they all know that this well, pizza was the, going the, to end? And again, watching Jalen and Jacoby with, with the director, Jason Ayer is, is his name. Um, and they had the same question. And the the explanation was that the Bulls were not staying in Salt Lake City, but he did not say where they were staying. So I was like, I wonder if they're staying in Orem. I wonder if they're staying, you know. Uh, so, oh, yeah. You know, because they were not staying in Salt Lake City. And, and wherever they were, there wasn't very many places open. Um, you know, 10 o'clock at night, because I guess the guys he was with, the security guy and the and the strength coach for him, they had already eaten. And so they ordered this pizza. Now, uh, the thinking is they would never have said this is Michael Jordan's room or Michael Jordan's pizza. But the yeah. guy at the front desk might have been friends with the guys who worked at the pizza place in a smaller town. And he might have been like, hey, that pizza's going up to Jordan's room. Okay. So now, uh, did, did, did they did they make it? Flu? Did, well, that, that's the question. Did they know that it was, uh, did, did they that do pizza? something on purpose or was it just by chance that uh, he got sick from eating that pizza? And, and the other thing they, they talked about was that, uh, well, what do you mean none of the other guys, how, how did he eat an entire pizza? You know, that somebody didn't take a slice. And apparently uh, Michael was so mad that they ate without him that he spit on the pizza. So nobody tried to eat a slice from him, and of course he winds up getting sick. And it, 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 what did he score? Forty-five points, I think it was. Or, yeah, it, it, forty-four. Forty-four. Thirty-eight minutes. While he was, you know, fighting food poisoning. Which, if, if you've ever had food poisoning, oh my gosh, that is, I, I have no idea how he could have played basketball with food poisoning. I was like, if they did do something to that pizza, and you're probably probably almost bragging right you're like oh mj's not gonna play tonight i'm just gonna have a horrible game and then for him to go to drop 44 points you're like well that's embarrassing. like i look horrible now <laughs> what'll be interesting to see if if this week if the pizza delivery guys if somebody tracks it i mean because they got to be around right i mean yeah, so definitely. there has to be more to the story so they have to defend themselves now 
So yeah. I'd be interested to see if the pizza delivery guys now, you know, 25 years later come out and, yeah, we, we didn't do anything to the pizza. Or we did do something to the pizza. Who knows what the story right? would be. Right. Except I, I think we've all learned you don't make MJ mad. No. <laughs> don't he might them. buy out your company <laughs> at some point or something like that. Now, uh, Whack All Access, this past weekend, Molly Miller, uh, the new women's basketball coach at GCU on Twitter. You, had, you did a Twitter Live. Wanted to see what your thoughts uh, were on doing a Twitter Live versus the Instagram Live. Honestly, I almost like Twitter a little bit better. I, it's, I mean, They're obviously very similar, but Twitter, I just, I don't know. I almost liked it a little bit better. Unfortunately, we couldn't get Coach Miller to like actually have her face. I don't know if there's some sort of settings or something. Yeah, so it was yeah. a bummer, but we were able to like still sit and talk. And she was great. I probably could have talked to her for 45 minutes to an hour. Right. Of course, we like to keep them short. That way people can just like stay up to date on kind of the latest things and be able to watch it in a full sitting. Coach was awesome. Uh, I think we're going to continue doing them on Twitter. I've kind of thought about the idea of you can have another person join in. Um, so if somebody has a question that they want to ask, I think it'd be kind of cool oh, yeah. to have them hop on video and be able to ask it and show their face. So something I'm kind of debating on doing, we'll see. Obviously, there's some concerns about just allowing somebody to jump in and ask. Right, a right. You wouldn't want to Not being have... able to control it completely. Right. But we'll see what happens. I feel like we have a lot of great fans in the WAC. So fingers crossed that everything would just stay very PG and appropriate. And and again, this is something that's come out of the quarantine that, you know, we, we've had to be creative like with the show and, and with that uh, whack all access uh, on Instagram or Twitter is, is probably something we wouldn't have been doing had we not had the lockdown. So this is uh, positive. We're, We're looking at the glass half full. I, I, yeah, we definitely are. And I think honestly, it's made us think, about how we like put out content you know we do a lot of video and i think this podcast has been great for the wax because if you can't sit down and watch a video like you're driving but you can still learn about some of the things while you're driving and just throwing on a podcast you know what i mean like if you're sitting in traffic granted there's not as much traffic nowadays but still (laughs) it's i think it's a good idea to have things on multiple platforms and i've really enjoyed doing that and i've enjoyed giving people the opportunity to ask coaches or players questions live and on the spot so I think we're going to stick with some of these ideas, don't you think, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. This this has been a blast for me as well, and I know you're efforting a another exciting guest on on Whack All Access this week. Don't want to give it away, so don't want to jinx it, I guess, until they're confirmed. But uh, <laughs> uh, somebody I'm looking forward to you interviewing as well. Whack Top Play Monday this week. We're doing men's soccer goals, and there was a ton of them. This year, we're going to take a week off after that. And then uh, starting in June, we're going to do uh, school-by-school contests. So that, that'll that be something to look forward to this summer. We uh, Performances of the, of the decade, it's our final one. Uh, we're going to do baseball hitters. And uh, spoiler alert, Nick Gonzalez is going to be uh, at the top <laughs> of a lot of those lists, obviously leading the NCAA in batting average last year and, and the home runs and, and runs batted in numbers he was already putting up this year. He's he's atop a lot of those whack decade lists. So look for Nick Gonzalez on there. Yeah, I would be shocked if he didn't make a couple of those, Eric. I would think we would need to do a little bit more research if you didn't have anything <laughs> on him. So. Yeah, well, I mean, so we had to have some sort of Nick Gonzalez uh, talk this this week, as we have each week. And what, what is it, June 10th that the uh, baseball draft is uh, coming 10th. up? So so we'll be looking forward to that. I believe it's going to be a two-day event, even though it's only five rounds. 
So, um, so are they going to do first two rounds and then the last three? It, you know it, it, yeah, I haven't seen exactly. And if it's going to be on TV or if it's going to, you know, I, I would imagine it has to be right. Uh, mm-hmm. But I know the MLB is a little different, you know, obviously than the NFL or NBA drafts. Uh, but since they're, you know, people are kind of starving for content here, I wonder if they're going to beef it up a little bit this year. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll see like they did at the NFL. What, what did you say? They sent out all kinds of um, iPhones, iPhones to, to all the uh, prospects. So maybe we'll maybe see, we'll see some inside of Nick Gonzalez's house. <laughs> maybe, maybe we will. <laughs> all right, Rachel, uh, thanks again for taking some uh, time out. Uh, always a good conversation and uh, stay safe and, and stay healthy. Yeah, you too. I feel like our conversations get longer and longer <laughs> they as week goes on. So, <laughs> love talking with you, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. All right, that is Rachel Vihill coming up next. We're going to have the Deputy Commissioner and Chief Operating Officer of the WAC, Ron Lockery. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our partners, Hercules Tires, Ticket Smarter, and Adidas. Now, back to the WAC Podcast. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Eric Danner with you, reminding you that Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle, whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. And now joining us on the WAC Podcast is the Deputy Commissioner and Chief Operating Officer of the Western Athletic Conference. His name is Ron Lockery. Ron, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? I'm doing well, Ron. <laughs> I, I know it's uh, it's been a, a crazy time uh, for everybody out there, and no different in the world of, of college athletics. Uh, this past week, the Western Athletic Conference had their annual meetings, uh, but a little different this year is they, they were done via Zoom. Yeah, it, it was different. Um, it, it was great to see you, by the way. See everybody. Um, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. You know, years and years, uh, people have said in my, you know, my previous job and even here in the WAC, why don't we just do these? Let's not meet in person. Let's have this calls and video conferences or whatever. And so we're finally getting the opportunity to try it, and I, I just don't think it works. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not a proponent of it. I, I hope. Uh, soon i'll say eventually because i don't it's certainly not going to be soon but eventually we can all get back to sitting in a room and talking i think you just get get more done that way you have better conversations so but yeah we conducted a series of zoom calls um stretched about four days total because we uh hit some stuff the week before on what we were going to talk about and then fine-tuned it got it down to a workable agenda for three hours in the morning and three hours in the afternoon and then followed up the next day with conference council on the same schedule. So yeah, it was, um, it, it's tough to set that long. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it is. It is. And obviously a number of topics discussed, but everything kind of revolves around what do we do next? And I guess the answer is we don't know. Yeah, we don't. And, you know, one of the, one of the items we had on our agenda, I mean, everybody, everybody in the world does is, uh, you know, the contingency plan, moving forward uh what do we do you know we have we have schools in some five different states and every state has its own plan as it were to start up or when they are allowing this i mean we have a you know cal baptist in california california is kind of the the hotbed of you know cancellations and things like that so it's it's really important that we have something but the problem is you're trying to make um decisions in may that it will affect august and september so what we what our administrators decided to do 
is not do anything right right now not that we're not doing anything but to hold off on any permanent decisions for the fall and even next spring and really uh, we're going to again have a series of calls and we're going to do them every two weeks and just kind of track where everybody's at get together every two weeks and talk about their campuses um, starting school back up because you know that's important Uh, everybody believes your school needs to start up before you start bringing athletes back on the campus And, and so those are things that we'll be tracking here in the coming month I'd say, you know, end of June, we're probably going to have to start pulling the trigger on some things, but that's our plan right now. Well, Ron, you alluded to the uh, California State Schools announcing this past week they're going online for the fall. 23 schools affected there. Uh, a couple of affiliates uh, for the Western Athletic Conference in that group, including San Jose State, uh, which is an affiliate in men's soccer, and uh, Sacramento State, which is an affiliate in baseball. I- any idea how that uh, impact? I guess the schools haven't announced themselves that they're not going to have athletics this fall except for some of the division twos there uh so any idea on on how that might impact the WAC this year again i think that's uh part and parcel with our tracking ourselves you know keeping in touch every two weeks if not more if it comes down to that but you know i was just reading today that san diego state is saying we you know we will play football this fall because we're we will have a percentage of students on campus uh a lot will be online. And so I think it's, it's, they're in the same, you know, everybody's in the same boat. They're kind of gauging how things will be moving forward. And, and they, I just don't think that nobody knows right now. And so to, to say they're not going to have students in the fall, I, I, I think there's really um, some, I don't know. I, I think it's up in the air a little bit. And I think it certainly affects Sacramento state they're you know in another conference and all their other sports what right. their conference going to do you know san jose state i was reading the mountain west is you know all all in on starting football when they're supposed to um devising a plan to do it and so i i, I see everybody's in the same you know the same boat we are of we're, we, we can't decide things right now because there's just too much moving forward and during the course of our meetings uh, last week uh, the ccaa which is a division two conference announced that they're uh, suspending fall sports now of course they're in a little different boat because all of their members are are part of that csu state system and then also seeing that the mac came out and said they're going to be uh, reducing uh, some of their fields and, and eliminating uh, some of their uh, conference tournaments as well so i, I guess like you said ron it, it kind of depends on how the body feels in terms of all the schools and and moving forward and because you don't want to take away opportunities for student athletes but at the same time we're, we're managing a health crisis here we are and you know you hit on it in that we one of our agenda items was looking at cost cutting items and certainly on that list was uh, you know either shrinking the the amount of teams in our championships or eliminating some or you know doing a pod structure in our on our scheduling and I we, we were able to touch on the, the items and uh, get past the items that I don't think affect a student athlete experience. You know, the, the behind the scene things that a, that a school can cut or a, a conference um, can cut that doesn't, again, affect that postseason experience or even the in season experience for a student athlete. I think that's what our administrators, I don't think it, I know that's what our administrators are striving for is to not affect student athletes if we don't have to. And if we can continue. Uh, it's, it's not business as usual by any means, but if we can 
retain what we have and do it at a, on a lower budget. I think that's what they're really shooting for. And I think our board of directors is on the same, same plane as they are. Talking with Ron Lockery, the Deputy Commissioner, Chief Operating Officer of the Western Athletic Conference. And Ron, the WAC already had quite a few changes heading into next year with the departures of Kansas City and Bakersfield and, and the arrivals of Dixie State and Tarleton. So the, the WAC was already going to look quite a bit different next year. What, what would Dixie and Tarleton bring to the table? Oh, I think, um, you know, Dixie brings school, uh, the one I looked at, a school right down the road from another school. And that's right. that's a great thing to have in a conference. If you can pair a couple schools together and travel partners, it, that alone right there is a, a huge decrease in the cost of uh, travel for our institutions, you know, and that. So when we knew Dixie State was coming in and then Tarleton State, we, we really set to showing our administrators that we can't let's reformulate how we schedule, how we lay our map out because we, we showed them we can really save them some money. You know, we, we had another, we have another school in Texas, uh, UTRGV and it just made sense. You know, you can come in one, one location and go to either Tarleton or UTRGV and then vice versa. And then you're not jumping on a plane again. Um, and Dixie state right up the road from UVU. So that was, those are two elements they bring. I mean, I, that was, those are very important, but I think also um, the excitement that their, their uh, fans their boosters, their town, their cities that they're in uh, will bring to the whack, I think are just uh, paramount. And so I think that's, that's big. Now they do bring their transitioning institutions. And so just like, uh, you know, Cal Baptist and Grand Canyon before them, there's a four year wait before they're, um, full division one members. So that's, that's a tough situation for them. Um, it's something we have to very, be very cognizant of is what our membership numbers are that are full division one. But I think they bring, uh, you know, um, here in a couple of years when they're fully ingrained in the conference, I think it's just going to add so much to our league. And a couple of things with, uh, you mentioned Grand Canyon, California Baptist being recent division two, uh, transferring into Division One members. Uh, both of those schools have had a lot of success. GCU obviously made the transition a few years ago uh, completely, uh, but even during their transition, and it, we've seen CBU be very competitive as well in their transition, so there's no reason to think that Dixie and Tarleton won't also be very competitive in the WAC. No, I, I totally agree, and that's, you know, that's, we didn't we didn't bring them in to be bad. Let's put it that way. We're <laughs> we're excited for them, and I think that's uh they understand that they want to um, come in and, and be competitive right away. I think they're you know strive for that. I mean, Tarleton State made a big move on their, uh, their hiring uh, Gillespie as their basketball coach. I think they want to be um, jump jump in now um, again, uh, and I think you're you'll probably hit on it. But our board of directors have moved to allow institutions after their second year of transitioning to uh, play in our basketball championship. And so that'll be, you know, they'll have two years to, to build up to that. I think that's a good time span for um, to make that transition because it, it's, it's a big transition. I don't, don't, I don't think anybody can uh, fool anyone on that. It's, it's a different breed of athlete. It's a different caliber of uh, expenses and travel and those things. And so it, to go from D2 to D1, I, I, there has to be a, a transitioning period. I think the, the level the NCA requires is a little onerous. So, um, But you know, th those institutions will be ready to go. I know they will. 
Yeah, you mentioned it, uh, Ron, in WAC Vegas, uh, knock on wood, everything goes well uh, this upcoming year. And we're, we're back in WAC Vegas in March, and everybody's uh, healthy and, and happy. We're going to have uh, California Baptist uh, playing in the tournament this upcoming year. Uh, it'll be the third year of their transition. So this decision uh, made by the board of directors of the WAC to allow CBU into the tournament, as you mentioned. So the, the, uh, the new rule would be, Two years, or after two years, you can play in the uh, in the basketball tournament. Is that correct? Yes, that's um, you know they they didn't do a you know this is only for Cal Baptist. It was you know for any transitioning institution. So um, you, you're right. After two years, so two years from now, uh, Dixie State and Tarleton State uh, will be playing in WAC Vegas. So um, we're excited for Cal Baptist to be involved. I think Cal Baptist had. Um, pled their case so to speak with the board of directors and I, I think they felt like I had just said that the, the four years required by the NCA seems a bit um, you know arbitrary um, and why is it that when when certainly Cal Baptist has proven their uh, division one caliber I mean they're they right out of the gate um, proved themselves on the basketball court last year you know they're our second place team in the regular season so Cal Baptist is is there so um, now you're right. They're they're not eligible for the NCAA tournament. So it creates a situation where we're bringing a team into our championship that should in our championship cannot be our automatic qualifier. So that was a um, mm-hmm. one of the certainly an agenda item on last year last week's call with our administrators is how do we write our you know our AQ rules what it is and it's what you have to submit to the NCA. Who is your automatic qualifier? Um, should something happen to your tournament, let's say, you know, like we had, you know, we had, if the NCAA tournament would have went on, how would we have determined an AQ? Well, we, that was in our bylaws on how we would do that. Um, and so we just have to write that. And that was the, the regular way. season champion. If they it's would have had the NCAA as the regular season champion, would have gone on? Correct. Yeah, because we hadn't played a game in the tournament. The tournament was canceled. Your regular season's your AQ. So what, we, what we'll have to do is, and we are – in that process in fact um it's going to the board and to be approved so i can't really say what it is but um because it hasn't been approved yet but we'll have an aq language that will go into effect should cal baptist um win our tournament in the next two years so uh but it's it it brings another core of fans they're four hours away from las vegas they're chomping at the bit um, I heard that's supposed to be champing at the bit one time, but champing <laughs> at the bit <laughs> to to jump in and, and be part of that tournament and bring a level of excitement. And, and we, we think it's gonna, really going to add to the championship. And in your research with this, Ron, I, I know it was looked at to see what some other conferences have done. And there's, also, there's precedent for this. There's been uh, schools that can't qualify for the NCAA tournament participating in, in their conference tournaments. Correct. I mean, yeah, um, there's precedent both ways i mean we we had to present it fairly to the board but yeah there's a conference um the a sun that allows they have one they had one previous that has since moved to a different conference they have one now and then they're bringing in a uh, transitioning institution next year that is allowed to play in their tournament um and then they, that their aq is it would fall back to the regular season champion so there, there's diff- again different ways to do it um we, we have a proposal to the board that they'll uh, yay or nay on, and we'll we'll move forward with that. But yeah, Cal Baptist is in the, in our tournament, and uh, there's even you know 
when we were looking into this and really trying to present uh, both sides, there are conferences that allow ineligible um, institutions, either whether it be academics, APR, whatever, that makes them ineligible for the tournament, they're still allowed to play in their tournament. They just, again, write their AQ that say if they win it, this is how we determine our AQ. So um, it's been done in the past um, pretty frequently, actually. Talking with Ron Lockery, and Ron, you joined the WAC, or should I say rejoined the WAC in January of 2019. Can you tell us a little bit about your road to this current position? Well, it's funny you say rejoin because it's true. Uh, in, back in um, 91, I was a, a intern with the Western Athletic Conference. It was certainly a different lineup of teams uh, i was you know i was a wyoming grad and i came down the front range here to uh, work in colorado and you know there was uiu csu utah etc um and then i went back to the university of wyoming worked for a couple of years as a grad student and then i got uh hired on with the big sky conference i was going to be in it was it was stationed in utah and i was going to be there for a couple of years and move <laughs> on and 24 years later uh, there I was still, um, <laughs> just the way the world works, you know, as I, I went in as a sports information director and, um, through attrition and people leaving for, uh, jobs, I would get move up, move up. And until I was the deputy commissioner there. So I worked for, uh, Doug Fullerton, who was commissioner for 20 years. I worked for him there. And then four years after. And, um, when this position opened up, to come work for Jeff, which ironically, that's who I worked for back in 91. <laughs> Jeff was the uh, assistant commissioner for information. Um, I, I just, I just jumped at it because I'd say, you know, to, to move to Colorado was just such a, a, a great opportunity. we my wife and I were empty nesters by then we'd raised our kids, which was also nice. Uh, you know, I just got to spend time in one location. I didn't have to move them around. Um, and it just it just worked out that way, and I, I couldn't be happier. It's 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 awesome being here. Now, Ron, I have to tell you a little story from our previous segment uh, with Rachel Vihill. We did a thing on the Last Dance, and we've been doing that each week uh, because we're all obviously big broadcasting fans. But uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of actual sports to talk about. But <laughs> yeah. I told her my story about seeing Phil Jackson in 1984 as the head coach of the Albany Patroons of the CBA. And yeah. uh, my uh, my folks are from Albany, and I went back there for spring break that year. Had a cousin who was a cheerleader on the team and got us tickets to see the Patroons. And, and I looked up to see who they played in the championship that year because Albany won. And it was the Wyoming Wildcatters that uh, <laughs> Albany beat in 1984. Of course, you're from uh, northern Wyoming there, and I think you had a chance to see the, the Wildcatters a little bit growing up. You know, I did. And uh, to tie it in a little bit, I worked at the CBA. I, 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 oh, that's I right. I blacked yeah. that out of my yeah, I blacked that out of my mind, Derek. I try not to talk about that because it. But no, I did. Uh, saw the Wildcatters there in the Casper Event Center. Um, they unfortunately didn't last too long. Uh, I, I always think of them when I when I see Will Ferrell's semi-pro. It, it just reminds me of going to Wildcatter games. Uh, but yeah, when I worked at the the CBA office, we had some interesting coaches at that time. Uh, Musselman was a coach. Right. Um, you know, and you, you did. You looked at the roster of people. You know, George Carl, uh, coaches who came to the CBA was was very impressive. And so, um, and then I unfortunately never got to meet any of them. I didn't get to leave the office much. But uh, just yeah, it was that was an interesting time. I always say I 
my, one of my jobs was I was in charge of approval of trades. And you can imagine the trades that went on in, in a CBA level league. I had a, a coach trade another player for a sweatsuit. Um, <laughs> and, and I, you know, I couldn't approve it because there has to be, uh, you know, a monetary involvement in any of these trades or another player, et cetera. And so we had to renege on that one, but it was, <laughs> it came across, you just wanted a sweatsuit. <laughs> well, I think in semi-pro, wasn't Woody Harrelson's character traded for a uh, washing machine? <laughs> well, we're talking with Ron Lockery. Ron, uh, like you said, it was good to see you on, on the Zoom call uh, last week, but uh, obviously we, we'd like to, to be able to, to be in person uh, at some point, but at the same time, I, I think um, there's probably been some good that's, that's maybe come out of the lockdown. Uh, have you experienced any of that in terms of uh, either through work or, or, or personally, uh, some things that, that uh, are a silver lining from all this? Uh, I think personally, the I think the biggest one for me is um, my, my daughter lives in Salt Lake City and she was furloughed. And so she, you know, packed up her, you know, she didn't pack it all up because she still has her apartment there, but right. she packed up enough to live and she came here and, and right after we got back from our our non-tournament uh and she's been here since she is um now gonna go back but it was nice you know we had two months with our um adult 21 year old daughter and really just you know getting to know her again she'd you know been away at school in new york for three years and then lived in salt lake so it was that was that's a huge silver lining really got to spend some time with her and we were in our you know we just moved here so we were in our new house and she's helped um us decorate because that's not our forte and it is hers and so it, it's it's just been nice uh, that part of it I, I i hate saying that because this has adversely affected so many people right. and i i just uh, I, so i i i don't like finding something good out of it because it just hurt too many people um but to have my daughter here has been an exception um and then here in our office, as you know, Eric, you, you maybe have seen it once or twice. Well, we had been in the process of um, you know, getting a new office. It's our, it was our old office, but reformatted, different way, a new, new um, layout, and et cetera. And, and so it was going to be hectic, hectic mess coming out of our championship because that's right when we needed to move out of our old, get in our new. And so to not have events going on has just allowed us to slowly do that the building's been great there you know there's no certainly nobody clamoring to move into your old space so get moved in and so that's been nice uh, I'm, I'm anxious for the staff to see it be in it uh, <laughs> but other than that um those would be about the only two things i mean again i it just is distressing to see uh how much pain and anxiety and everything has caused people i i hope we can get back to some semblance of um, it's not never going to be normal, but some normalcy and get uh, the, uh, the things we do uh, athletics are way down on the totem pole, but to give some people um, some escape, uh, I think, and, and get our student athletes, it's what they do. You know, that that's the thing I think a lot of people, you know, who want to um, come down on athletes who want to play and all that, you know, it, you want to, people want to get back to work. They want to get back to their normal thing that that's what they do. And so I think that the sooner we can do that, the more uh, it'll help them mentally 
physically, and I, I just can't wait for that day. Yeah, yeah, you and me both, and I can't wait to be back in the office and get our new studio, as as we call it, uh, uh, <laughs> to let people behind the curtain a little bit. If they watched uh, Wag Digital Network in, in prior years, we were basically using the lobby of our office as our studio, and I think we'd been in that office, the WAC anyway, had been in the office over 20 years, and, and they were able to uh, remodel as part of the, the new lease, and, and we made one of the rooms a a TV room, if you will, and painted a green wall and uh, have some ideas for, for how we can use that. But uh, yeah, I know uh, both Rachel V. Hill and myself are, are looking forward to uh, using that and seeing everybody in the office, uh, including you and, and Jeff and, and the whole crew there, Ron, and want to thank you for taking some time out to do this. And, and uh, like I said, uh, let's stay uh, happy and healthy and, and we'll see you before too long. Uh, I appreciate it, Eric. Happy to do it. Always good to talk to you. All right. That is Ron Lockery, the Deputy Commissioner, Chief Operating Officer of the Western Athletic Conference. When we come back, we're going to talk to Jessica Poole, the Senior Associate Athletic Director for External Operations and Revenue Generation at Chicago State University. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is presented by Hercules Tires. Now, back to the WAC Podcast. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Eric Danner with you. We are now joined by the Senior Associate Athletic Director for External Operations and Revenue Generation at Chicago State University. Her name is Jessica Poole. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Eric. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Jessica, thanks for being on the podcast. Hopefully everything's going well. Obviously, uh, Chicago uh, hard hit by the the coronavirus. How, How are things currently around the city, around the campus there? You know, everything is still very shut down. Um, Governor Pritzker has a five-stage plan to reopen um, the state, um, and we're currently in phase one, phasing into phase two. Um, So things are, you know, we've got curbside delivery and things along those lines, but it's still pretty quiet. Um, Campus is very, very, um, very quiet um, with, you know, no students and kind of just essential personnel on campus at this time. So it's it's quiet for, for a summertime shy, that's for sure. Now, you were named Senior Associate Athletic Director for External Operations and Revenue Generation on January 15th. What what attracted you to this position at Chicago State? Well, it's a build. Um, I think I'm attracted to positions that require building and setting foundation and really being able to come in and change the trajectory of a department. And that's exactly what this position is. Um, We're able to come in and bring some new ideas, a fresh take on things. And I think it's, you know, it's a build for sure. So there are lots of days where it's tough, but I think that, you know, at the end of this, we'll be able to look back and say that we built something and you don't get those opportunities very often at division one. So this was a a chance to really build something. And then I'm from Michigan, so it's a little bit closer to my family. So I think it just was a good fit. Talking with Jessica Poole, and speaking of building, you just hired a uh, brand new women's basketball coach. Tell us a little bit about your new coach. Um, we were very fortunate to get a, a Chicago native and Tiffany Sarden to come home and help us build our women's basketball program. Um, Tiffany is a wonderful, wonderful coach. Um, you know, she understands Chicago. She knows Chicago State. She's probably played at uh, the JCC as a CPA at a, CPS basketball players. So, you know, we're really fortunate to get um, a, a native to come back and help us build the program. She's got wonderful experience coming to us at, from Longwood University, where she was the associate head coach. 
um, and recruiting coordinator. And then also she played um, at Virginia. So, you know, she is really a builder of women and we're excited to kind of have her join our program and see where we can go. And when you say the JCC, for those not familiar with it, that's the Jones Convocation Center, the uh, home of uh, Chicago State, actually a, a really nice facility. I, I would imagine that that might have been a, a also a draw to uh, to working at Chicago State. Yes, absolutely. We have a very nice facility. We're able to host a have a lot of people, and once it's filled up with tons of fans, it can be really really rocking. So we're we're looking forward to getting that getting that rolling. Now, the other thing you have uh, at this time, you're looking for a new volleyball coach. Uh, obviously, volleyball would be starting in the fall. Where, where does that search stand right now? We're still in the process, um, you know, very early stages of the process. So we're, you know, kind of doing a national search and, you know, getting a group of candidates together. Um, you know, we're early in the process, but very, very excited about being able to, to grow our family through, through the volleyball position. Talking with Jessica Poole from Chicago State and uh, going back to March, Jessica, I mean, Chicago State was really ahead of the curve. I believe the first school to limit competitions after the coronavirus outbreak at the time. I, I know a very a difficult decision there on campus, but uh, seeing how things played out turned out to be the right one. Yeah, it was um, it was a very difficult decision and one that we didn't make lightly. Um, you know, it was the very end of the season. So we had some student athletes that didn't get to play a senior night. We had student athletes, you know, it was a hard decision, but we felt that, um, you know, our core pillars are student student athlete first, innovation and uh, personal investment. And we thought that it, you know, if we were really going to stick to our pillars of our department, student athlete first, we didn't want to put anyone in danger. Um, and we didn't know you know, the the risks were just too great for us. So we thought that it was the best decision for us. And obviously, uh, some of the seniors didn't get a chance to have maybe their senior days and in, in, uh, in the spring sports as well. Um, obviously, didn't even get to play uh, uh, the uh, conference competition. Any plans to, to honor those seniors or have you already done it or or what do you have yep. planned for that? So we have we did a senior salute um, kind of to all of our seniors um, athletically and then also our campus. We worked in collaboration with our campus to do a very cool um, graduation website and kind of some online salutes. So, you know, we'll certainly try to make the best of a situation that certainly wasn't optimal. Um, but I think that, you know, it, it was, we did the very best that we could. Um, and I think that, you know, there'll be certainly down the road, there'll be plenty of opportunities for us to bring people, people back and, you know, maybe honor some folks once we kind of get back to our, our normal or new normal. Now, what about the graduation? I know we've uh, talked to some other schools where they uh, might be trying a late summer graduation, kind of see how, you know, the, the environment is at, at that time. Are there any plans for any kind of graduation ceremonies or, or have you already had any at Chicago State? We um, are not at this time planning to do any in-person graduation. Um, we did kind of a virtual graduation website uh, for our graduates campus-wide last Friday. And how was that received by the students? So it was it was well received. It was a, a really good website. Um, you know, able to kind of honor our leaders and our departments, um, you know, campus units and things along those lines. So. It, it was good, um, a little bit different, you know, but I think we're all experiencing different during this time. So it was the best pivot that we could make. Now, Chicago State, I, I noticed uh, not too long ago, you have a brand new website for your athletics department, also uh, a very beefed up presence on social media. What has been uh, the reaction to those upgrades? 
Uh, it's been great. Uh, the website was certainly in need of a refresh. Um, and I think that we were really able to help ourselves by going through that redesign process. It's lighter, it's brighter, um, and it's it's been really good, really well received by both our current student athletes and coaches and also prospective student athletes um, and their families. So I think it's, you know, a one-stop shop for, you know, what we're trying to do here. Um, and as far as social, we're just trying to be a little bit more active during this time where you can't really gather, you can't really you know, try to be a little bit more active on social so people can get a feel of who who we are um, and what we what we value. Now you've been a, uh, I guess, kind of a longtime member of uh, the College Sports Information Directors of America. Obviously, your role at Chicago State is is a little different than that right now. But you come into the campus in January, uh, about a year after the passing of Corey Miggins, a, a very beloved SID. We, we sure do miss him in the whack. I, I enjoyed my conversations with Corey. And I got to imagine uh, his his memory is very present there on the Chicago State campus still. Absolutely. Um, Corey will always be always be present at Chicago State. Um, you know, someone that a longtime staffer who really believed in Chicago State had great relationships with our student athletes and coaches, and he is dearly, dearly missed. Um, and, you know, as we kind of grow our department there, you know, we're going to try and find ways to continue to keep Corey's memory alive um, through our um, communications area and some other things that we have planned. But Corey will Corey will forever be a Cougar. That is for sure. Now, you are uh, the College Sports Information Directors of America, as we say in the business, COSIDA, the third vice president, chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, and you, you will become the first African-American female to lead the organization during the 22-23 academic year. Did you envision that position for yourself when you started 14 years ago? Absolutely not. I had no clue. I had no clue where it would take me, um, but I'm grateful for it. It's brought me so many professional and personal opportunities, and I'm, I'm grateful for the, the ability to give back. Um, you know, this organization has really brought a lot to me, and so to be in a leadership role with the organization and to be able to kind of usher in um, a new, you know, the next era of what you know, sports information will be is an honor and one that I don't take lightly. Um, but yeah, if I if I if I thought I was going to be in this seat 14 years ago, absolutely not. No <laughs> clue. You know, I thought I I didn't know what I was going to be doing then. So um, I'm just grateful. Well, at what point did you decide that uh, sports or athletics was going to be a career path? Um, probably very young. I think that um, I've always come. I come from a sports family. We did we. My brother and I played just about everything. So I always knew that sports would be a part of my life. Uh, as a student at the University of Missouri, I thought that I may work, you know, in newspapers or right. magazines. And at one point, I kind of stumbled across, um, you know, the athletic department, uh, sports information area, and really kind of took a, a liking to it. And that's kind of where, you know, sports information kind of came into my life. And then as you know, as you kind of grow on your career, you, you figure out what you like and how you can better, best use your, your gifts. And I think I have a big picture gift, which makes me really um, good in an external role. Um, I can pitch things really well. So I think, you know, it just kind of evolved into something. And, you know, I don't know that I would know how to do anything outside of sports at this point. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think it's, it's been really fun. It's, you know, one of those one of those professions where everybody knows everybody. 
Um, and so I, I like that about it too. Well, working in a TV newsroom for about 10, 12 years, probably half of the people I worked with at least over that amount of time uh, came from the University of Missouri, very well known for their broadcasting department. Was there any thought of, of going into broadcasting? Um, I will share a funny story with you. As part of the journalism core classes, you have to take a broadcasting class. And I am I quickly learned through that that I was not a in front of the camera person. I was like, I don't want to be on TV. I want to be behind the scenes. Um, it was it was probably one of my hardest courses because I was just so uncomfortable in front of the camera. So I never thought broadcasting was for me, um, but I, I definitely enjoy being behind the scenes. So you, you initially get into the sports information world. Uh, were there some mentors for you that, that kind of guided you on that path? Absolutely. Um, I will say that the entire University of Missouri crew, um, Chad Moeller, Sam Fleury, Whitney Vernieu, um, Emily Gatewoods, Josh Murray, some who are still there and some who are not, um, really took me under their wing and once they kind of realized that I had a, a penchant for the profession, they really gave me as many opportunities to hone my skills um, as a student. And I was grateful for that. And then um, Eric Bacher at the University of, of Denver, who is actually now at the University of Virginia, really, you know, kind of, I had my first internship with him and he really took me under his wing and he allowed me to get tons of experiences that really serve me to this day um the university of denver has a great hockey program and a great men's lacrosse program and you know we were in a major media market but we were a small school so i learned how to be think out of the box um, and be creative to get coverage which i think is something that you know in my current role serves me to this day um and then just all of the you know people before me in cosida i think judy wilson um has really been a mentor and a friend of mine mm -hmm. Um, at LSU, um, Herb Vincent at the SEC office, just, you know, people that I know I can pick up the phone and they're going to A, answer my call and B, um, give me advice um, about anything that I need. And, you know, I've had a, I've had the great fortune of having really good mentors and people throughout all of college athletics, not just from the communications world to really help me grow and learn. Yeah, Judy Wilson, she she was also at the Mountain West, and I currently live in Colorado Springs, so I, I okay. knew, knew her as well. And and also, uh, we had Hope Schuler on the show a few weeks yes. ago, and I, I called her the uh, Kevin Bacon of college athletics. Yeah. And I, yes. I know you, you, and, uh, you and Hope have, have crossed paths before. Yes, Hope and I go way, way back. Hope is kind of one of those friends that you got to have because she knows where all the bodies are. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. Um, now was Hope that at DU or, or where, where did you guys meet? Gosh, Hope and I met, yeah, probably when I was at DU. Um, but yeah, we've kept in touch. We have a ton of mutual friends. Um, you know, she is she's been a great advocate and a resource for me, kind of taking over have, taking over at Chicago State. So it's been it's been really really fun to kind of connect with her on a more official capacity than we have before. Now, when you first got into sports information, and I I started. 30 years ago and it was it was even worse in terms of diversity and mm -hmm. inclusion uh it, it very few females were were in the field did you find it difficult breaking into the field or or did you have some of those maybe mentors that that helped you out uh, finding jobs and and figuring out uh, your path there yeah i think um i've definitely had great mentors that have helped me find jobs and help you know kind of guide my path I think that, you know, it is a very, 
male dominated profession. Um, you know, I think that it's changing though. I think that you're seeing a lot more women in leadership roles. You're seeing a lot more people of color in varying roles, not just in, you know, communications, but throughout the whole intercollegiate athletics landscape. So it's a slow change. Um, but I think, you know, I'm fortunate to be a part of kind of helping set some groundwork um, with my role as the chair of the diversity and inclusion committee with COSIDA, but also just also being someone that's a person of color and a female in a higher senior administrative role. I think, you know, when you see someone that looks like you, it kind of gives you the, the idea that you can do that, too. Um, so I think, you know, change is slow. I think we've made a lot of strides Um I think we'll continue to make strides, but, you know, we have a long way to go. Now, switching over to the the new role that you have for uh, Associate AD for External Operations Revenue Generation, do you miss the SID side of it? I know you've, you've had to kind of uh, balance that a little bit uh, your first couple of months here, but uh, are, are you ready for that, that change to, to get into something different? I am. Um, you know, I love, I, I love, I'm always going to be connected to, to the communications world. Um, I think I, I, you know, I love it. I mean, I'm going to be a communicator for the rest of my life and at heart, but I do think that it's time to kind of use some of those skills to help generate some revenue, to help get some sponsorship and do things a little bit to provide a little bit of a bigger impact, um, which will take me out of the day to day. Um, but it's always nice to know that I, if I, if I need to get a fill of writing a press release or statting a game, that there's always that option if I need it. Well, Jessica, I want to thank you for taking some time out. I know you've got a lot going on there at Chicago State, especially uh, we, we might have some news uh, possibly next week. But I uh, uh, want to thank you for taking some time out and, and good luck uh, this summer and stay, stay healthy and stay safe. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate the time. All right, that is Jessica Poole, Senior Associate AD for External Operations and Revenue Generation at Chicago State. We also had Ron Lockery, the Deputy Commissioner of the WAC, and Rachel Vigil. And we want to thank you for listening to the WAC Podcast. Thanks for listening to the WAC Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at WACsports.com. <laughs>